0: Good to see everybody this morning, especially if you are uh, visiting us. Um, Have you ever had the experience of uh, longing for home? Longing for home. It might be uh, when you're stuck in traffic during a really long journey. Um, I remember coming home for the weekend when I used to live down south. I used to live in Luton when I first qualified as a teacher and sitting in a queue on the M6 on a Friday night around Birmingham and I would be imagining the welcome and the cuppa that would be waiting for me when mum and dad answered the door. Mum would be like looking out in the days before mobile phones, she'd be looking out to check where I was, especially if I was late. Or it could be that you're in a really stressful or dangerous situation. And your longing is to be in a safe place. Have you ever had the experience of um, seeing certain lights appear on your dashboard and ignoring them, hoping that, that's, that what he means is not going to be too costly? Now, this happened to me and uh, Lizzie last Christmas. We were just out delivering, as you do, just before Christmas. And we're on the way home from Wendy and Barry's. And um, halfway between Wendy and Barry's house and our house, the dashboard starts lighting up like a Christmas tree. And it suddenly felt like I was driving a tank. No power steering, engine chugging away. Now, thankfully, I managed to get the car home very gingerly. And I remember the sense of relief that I had when I turned into our close taking a really, really wide turning, hopefully not hitting the neighbour's car, and I saw the lights of home. Home represented safety. It represented security. It also had Simon there, who knew more of an idea what was wrong with my car than I did. Home was my sanctuary. And that is part of our ethos that we're going to look at today. Our church... Being a sanctuary. So, just before um, we come and have a look at it, let, let's, let's pray. Father, it's so good to be your children. It's so good to be able to call you Father this morning. We praise you for that gift. And Father, we ask that as we uh, think about what this word sanctuary means, we pray, Father, that you will speak into our hearts this morning. Amen. So, if we look in the dictionary for what the word sanctuary means, we might read that it means a holy place or a sanct- or a, a, a consecrated building. Sometimes churches, the church bit is called the sanctuary. When in the Old Testament, the sanctuary refers to um, the temple in Jerusalem, or it might be the tabernacle um, before um the Israelites got to the promised land where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. The Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of God's presence. And lots of the Psalms come about, uh, talk about coming into God's sanctuary in order to have an experience of him, a place of awe and wonder as the Psalmists realise that they're in the presence of a holy God. But today, oh sorry, in the Old Testament it also means a place where fugitives were entitled to immunity from arrest or execution. So in Exodus 21, God institutes the principle that if someone injures another person unintentionally, then they they can flee to a place of safety in order to escape retribution in case the relatives come and want to kill them. But the meaning of sanctuary that we're going to look today this morning is that sanctuary is a place of protection, of refuge, retreat and shelter. And in order to do that, we're going to look at a very famous parable, but maybe with a different emphasis to what we're used to. And we're going to look at the parable of the lost son in Luke 15. So as always, we always need to look at the context. So uh, if you've got your Bible, you can be found in Luke 15. Jesus, um, before we get to Luke 15, Jesus had been making waves. He'd been healing on the Sabbath. Tristan talked about the Sabbath last week. He'd been healing on the Sabbath, which was a massive no no for the Pharisees. And he'd been introducing the idea that God might be a lot far, that people who thought they were acceptable to God might be a lot far away from God than they actually thought they were. And so when we meet Jesus in Luke 15, He's chatting and hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, and all the while he's being observed by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So let's want to see what it says. In Luke, we're going to read Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, then we're going to skip to verse 11. So verse, uh, Luke 15, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So then Jesus then talks about three things or people who are lost. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and then we're going to come to the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the eldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, they replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders, yet you you never gave me even a young goat so I could go celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, if you've been in the Christian world any amount of time, I'm sure you've heard this parable or story from Jesus. And most of the time, when we look at the parable of the prodigal son, we concentrate on the prodigal or the lost son. And as a picture of how someone becomes a Christian, they realize that they are sinful and they come back to the Father. Isn't it, wasn't it? I didn't tell Tristan what I was speaking on today. And uh, when all these songs kept coming on about the Father, I thought, thank you, Lord. But today we're going to zoom in two other aspects of the story the Father's house and the older brother's room. What was going on there? Now, remember, Jesus was trying in this parable to portray what God's love was like to people who had a fixed idea about it that wasn't necessarily accurate. Now, we tend to think of the word prodigal as meaning wayward. Oh, that person, or they're like a prodigal son. But its real meaning is recklessly spendthrift. It means to spend until you've got nothing left. So the term can be used for the son, yes, but it also can describe the father. The father's reaction to the son was literally as reckless, reckless love towards the son as the son was reckless in spending his money. So the first thing, I've got a bit of technology here, just let me see. So, we're going to look at what the father's house um, was like. First of all, the father's house is a place of freedom. If we look at verse 12, it says, The younger one, younger son, said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, we think, oh, well, you know what? That's okay. You know, the... The the son, he was entitled to it. He's just getting his inheritance early. But in Jewish culture, the younger of two sons was entitled to only a third of his father's property. Even if the son received the property as a gift, Jewish culture dictated that he shouldn't spend the money while his father was alive. To do so was to say that he considered his father to be dead. It was the rudest thing a son could do to his father. It would result in shame at the synagogue for the father. You know, people would be nudging themselves saying, oh, look, he can't control his children. So Jesus' listeners would presume a certain response from the father to the request from the son. Maybe a disownment or at least a public telling off. But not this father. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't retaliate to protect his social status. He gives his son the freedom to go. His love for his son is stronger than his need for social approval. So he waits for his son to come home. Probably praying every day that his son comes home. The father's house is a place of freedom. What a beautiful picture of how God treats us. We have free will. We were, we were singing it this morning, you know, um, uh, we, ha- we, we are free, we are no longer slaves, we are free. Why? Because God wants our love and devotion to be freely given, not pressured out of us. He longs for us to come to him because we know that there's no place like home with the father. So the father's house is a place of Freedom. The father's house is also a place of generosity. Let's have a look at verse 17 and to 19. When the son came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So the father's house is a place of generosity. The son knew that everyone in his father's house was treated with respect. Each person was valued, even a hired servant. But notice that the hired servant weren't just given enough to survive. They had food to spare. The father was generous to his servants. He was a good boss. He was a top employer, Such was his generosity. So, the father's house is a place of freedom, it's a place of generosity. But the father's house is also a place of welcome and unconditional love. Listen to what verse 20 says. So, he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. Threw his arms round him and kissed him. Now, this verse is another one that we can just easily pass over in our culture when we read it with Western eyes. Jewish hearers to this might have expected several responses from a Jewish father who sees his son walking home splattered with pig dung. A reasonable father might close the door or at least get his son to wash. Before he comes and gives him a piece of his mind, he might ask him what he's been doing before punishing him, but the father rejects all these seemingly common sense solutions in favor of doing something that would have completely scandalized Jesus' hearers. He didn't wait for him to knock and then be summoned to a side room like a servant by a servant. While he was far off, the father runs to his son throws his arms round him, and kisses him. Now, as a general rule, distinguished Middle Eastern men did not run. They would never, ever pick up their robe and show their legs like a young boy. Never. The father then, as he's running, showing his legs, the father hugs the boy breaking another rule of social etiquette. Embracing was considered undignified for an old person. But that's what the father did. He was unconcerned about what people might think about him or his reputation. What an unreasonable, reckless, prodigal response. The father's house is a place of freedom and generosity, welcome and unconditional love. But then the father's house is also a place of forgiveness and restoration. Let's have a look at verse 22 to 24. But the father said to his servants, remember the son has has tried to get his pre-prepared speech out. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. But this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found so they began to celebrate now at the point of this the point of this story now Jesus readers might have thought well you know what the father has done plenty for the son now he can stop to be a servant in his father's house would be generous enough but the father is not content with a welcome the father offers forgiveness and restoration, he treats the son as an honoured guest. The best robe is put around him, which would have been the father's own own robe, a sign of restored standing with the family. The son receives a signet ring, which symbolises authority. Now the shoes are also significant. Free men wore shoes. Slaves went barefoot. This restored son was returned as a free person. A fattened calf was killed. Steak was reserved for special occasions. The son, who ate with pigs yesterday, dines today on steak. And by doing all of this, the father's saying, I'm not going to wait until you've paid off your debt. I'm not going to wait until you've duly groveled to me. You are not going to earn your way back into the family. I am simply going to take you back. I will cover your nakedness with the robes of my office and honor. So the Father's house is a place of freedom and generosity. It's a place of welcome, unconditional love, forgiveness and restoration. What a beautiful picture of how our Heavenly Father treats us. He gives us free will, he is so, so generous to us. He welcomes us into his embrace, forgives us and restores us. Hallelujah. How awesome he is. Now, at this point, if this was a Hollywood blockbuster, we might expect the credits to roll as Tom Hanks and Matt Damon or whoever walk off into the sunset. And some of Jesus' listeners will be cheering as they clock on to the fact that Jesus is talking about them being lost sons and God being the father in the story. But remember, there's two groups of people listening to Jesus and the second group weren't cheering. You can imagine them, can't you? Bristling with indignation. How can it be that easy? Surely the son has to obey the law before he can be invited back into his father's house. And to add insult to injury, Jesus continues the story with a massive sting in the tail. The older brother's room is a place of jealousy, resentment, and works, not grace. Let's have a look at verse 28. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered, notice this doesn't say my brother, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. There's no warm welcome from the older brother. He's not running up to his little bro and giving him an affectionate head scrub like little brothers do, your older brothers do, to his to his uh, to his younger brother. Such foolish forgiveness on the part of the father offends the older son. He demands justice and fairness. Where's the punishment due to this disgrace to the family name? Where's the party to honour the elder son's faithful work? At the moment the younger son is found, the older son is lost. Think about that. The moment the younger son is found, the older son is lost. Like the scribes and Pharisees listening to Jesus, the elder son refuses to join the party. Now, before we look at the response of the father to the older son's outburst, let's apply all this to our ethos of sanctuary. Remember that the Father's house was a place of freedom. And in John 8, verse 36, Jesus says that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about being free in Christ. And we rejoice in that, don't we? we would be singing it this morning. But do we also believe that our brothers and sisters are free in Christ? Free to ex? express their worship to God in the way that they feel comfortable, free to serve in the way that they feel God is leading them? Or do we consciously or unconsciously put burdens or have expectations of people that we don't apply to ourselves? The Father's house was a place of generosity. Are we known as generous people? Generous not with our, just with our money, but with our time, our talents, our homes, and in view of what we just looked at, how we view what we presume are the failings of others. Are we generous? Do we give people the benefit of the doubt? The Father's house is a place of welcome and unconditional love. When people enter this building, do they feel that? Do they feel part of the family here? Or do they feel like a gatecrasher at a party? do we mirror the unconditional love and acceptance of the father or do we consciously or subconsciously, like the older brother, give over the impression that to be acceptable, there are certain rules to follow or that in order to be part of our gang, they have to become like us in order to be worthy of our love or notice. Are we more ready to accept people who are like us than people who are not like us? Are we more ready to accept people who are in the same generation as us, the same ethnic background, speak the same language, have similar jobs to us? Are we more ready to do that than to be unconditionally loving? The Father's house is a place of forgiveness and restoration. How are we at that? Do we easily take offence? hold a grudge, say or do things that are deliberately hurtful, avoid people or stop talking to people if we disagree with them or if they hurt our feelings. It's much easier, isn't it, to withdraw into ourselves as a protection mechanism than it is to go and seek restoration. Oh, if we are the ones who are told we're in the wrong, how do we react? Are we dismissive? Oh, I don't know what they're upset about. They're just far too sensitive. Or are we like the Father and open our arms seeking to restore our relationship with that person? In Matthew 18, 21, Peter asked Jesus the question, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, Peter, when he suggested seven times, Peter thought that he was being super spiritual. Because seven times is at least fulfilling the law. Peter thought, you know what? Jesus is going to be pleased with this answer. What was Jesus' answer? Seventy times seven. Now, Jesus wasn't testing Peter's multiplication ability, because I can't even work it out myself. It 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 was to suggest that any set number misses the point of God's extended mercy to us, which if we've experienced it, we must extend to others. Remember, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So it's not, oh, well, I've done 70 times 7, that's enough. Jesus is saying, no, every time, every time, that is what I would like. So at this point, I am sure we are all cheering albeit metaphorically, but when I really look deep into my own heart, I've got to admit that sometimes I'm like the older brother. Sometimes I feel resentful of others. Sometimes I only want to be generous to the people I like. Sometimes I only want to spend time with the people who are like me. Does anybody else feel like that? So lastly, how does the father react to the older brother? And this is beautiful news to those of us with older brother tendencies, which I guess could, it could be all of us at some time or other. The father reacts in a way that is on the one hand firm, but on the other hand unconditionally loving. Let's see what he says. Verse 31. He says, My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The older son, in his anger, calls his brother, this son of yours. He denounces his relationship with him. But the father responds back to him, my son. You can imagine, can't you, the father looking at his older son with love but with sadness in his eyes. He doesn't fly off the handle. He lovingly encourages his other son to come out of his room and join the party. To acknowledge that he is also in need of his father's mercy and love and forgiveness. To be swept up in the restorative arms of his father. Now, those of us who are parents, or even if you're not a parent, you you probably remember your uh, mum uh, or dad doing this, that beautiful moment when after having maybe a disagreement or having to correct your child, normally for me, that's about 29 in the morning just before Lizzie goes to school and I'm saying, come on Lizzie, hurry up. And she, I'm still doing my hair. And we've fallen out because it's, you know, stressful. What do you do? You draw your child into your arms and you have a huggle because you want to re-establish that relationship. And you can imagine the father opening his arms to the older brother, can't you? Wanting a huggle in the same way that he had one with his younger son. And But what we, what we don't know is whether the son in this story responded to that. What a cliffhanger! Jesus was a fabulous storyteller, wasn't he? But maybe... Maybe Jesus left it open-ended on purpose. Those of us with older brother tendencies, how will we respond to that image? Will we run into the arms of our Heavenly Father and experience all the wonders of sanctuary that he offers? Freedom, generosity, welcome, unconditional love forgiveness, restoration. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are a God who lavishes your love on us, that you lavish your generosity, you lavish your acceptance, you lavish your unconditional love. Father, you are a wonderful, wonderful God. And we we ask for forgiveness, Lord, when we have been more like the older brother than the father. When we have um, expected people to meet what we consider our standard instead of treating them like you treat them. Father, we pray that as people of your family at Metro Christian Centre, that we will be a place of sanctuary. A place of sanctuary for people, all sorts of people, including ourselves. Amen.